Welcome to week four out of six of our series on divine interruptions. I think I have a timely word for us this morning because the series is all about encounter, encountering God's grace through interruptions. How many of us need to experience and encounter God's grace? Yeah, amen. And so this series is about that. And sometimes these moments of interruptions, they come as big, dramatic moments in our lives. We've covered the last few weeks, we've talked about the storms of life. We've talked about hurricanes and boats almost sinking. We've talked about paralyzed people being lowered through a roof to be healed. Amazing, dramatic stories. Sometimes the interruptions are a little bit more subtle. And that's where we're going to be this morning as we study Mark chapter 10 in Jesus welcoming the interruption of children. Now, I think we can all agree that 2020 was a pretty weird year of interruptions, correct? I don't want to talk too much about 2020 because let's, let's leave the past behind us, right? The Lord's doing a new work. Amen. But it was a crazy year. A lot of interruptions. Some of us went from, probably most of us went from working in the office or some sort of space to suddenly being at home and being on those dreaded Zoom meetings. I haven't been on a Zoom meeting, I think, since restrictions have lifted. Praise God. So I avoid them at all costs now. But Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting. This was particularly hard if you had kids in the house, right? Amen. Yeah, you know, the interruption of kids. You invested in some noise-canceling headphones. But man, they just always found a way to interrupt us. Well, during the midst of the pandemic and the lockdown, a judge, he posted this clip online with some advice. He said, if a child used your computer before you join a virtual hearing, he said, check the Zoom video options to be sure the filters are off. Some people needed this reminder. Check this video out. Chaponton, I believe you have a filter turned on in the video settings. Uh, you might want to uh, uh, take, take We're a trying look. to, we're tr can you hear me, Judge? I can hear you. I think it's a filter. It, in the it is, and I don't know how to remove it. I've got my assistant here. She's trying to, but uh, I'm prepared to go forward with it. That's, I'm here live. It's not, I'm not a cat. I can I can see that. Um, I think if you click the up arrow next to this. I just love that this man had to clarify, Judge, I am not a cat. We have a word in Texas that we use, bless his heart. Bless his heart. Whew, man, the pandemic was hard on all of us. We all needed a little bit of grace. Amen. This morning, we're going to take a look at how Jesus, he uses a moment of unplanned interruption to just like the judge in our video, give us a teaching moment about what settings in our life we need to check to make sure that we're following Jesus the way that he desires. We need these interruptions to check our settings. Amen. Open up your Bibles. We're actually going to start in Mark chapter 9 this morning. The bulk of our, our message will be on Mark chapter 10, but we're going to start in Mark chapter 9. If you're opening your Bibles, it's about three quarters of the way through. And as you open up Mark chapter 9, I'm actually going to interrupt the flow of this message and just pray and invite God's Spirit to just minister to our hearts this morning as we study the Word. Lord, we remember the words of our Anglican brother, Father. What we do not know, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, kindly make us. Through the power of your spirit, 
and for your son's sake. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm going to give some context. Mark chapter 9 is a really fascinating passage. I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but I just want to give you some quick highlights, okay? So really throughout the chapter, throughout chapter 9, there's some interesting things that are happening. Jesus is again and again just reinforcing what his kingdom is all about and what it means to be a true disciple. And he's doing this through different encounters and different teachings that he's giving the disciples. Now, at the beginning of Mark chapter 9, there's this really wild story. It's called the transfiguration. Any, any hands? Anyone's ever heard of that big fancy word, the transfiguration? Yep. Yeah. So it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay, and they all tell a similar version of the story. Jesus takes his closest disciples up to a mountaintop. So Peter, James, and John, they're up there at the top of the mountain, and Jesus literally transforms in front of their eyes. He actually reveals his divinity, and it says that he became glowing white, glowing white. And all of a sudden, the disciples, they hear the voice of the Lord saying, this is my son, and they're just, they're full limp mode, right? They're like faces to the ground, They are terrified and petrified. This is a crazy encounter moment where Jesus' divinity is revealed. It's pretty dramatic, right? Pretty intense story. Well, then just a few verses later, we're actually going to see these same disciples as part, taking part in an argument about who among them is the greatest. So they go from a moment of seeing Jesus in his divinity revealed to arguing which one among them is the greatest. You see, at the heart level... The disciples are seeking status, they're seeking honor, they're seeking power. These were the things that were important to them. And despite Jesus' continual interruptions, despite his teaching, despite his best efforts, the disciples aren't getting what he is about. Their settings are off. And so Jesus interrupts this debate about how great they are. And he gives his disciples this important lesson. Jump with me to verse 35. It reads this. It says, And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me but him. Who sent me. Again, Jesus is making a crystal clear point to his disciple. His kingdom isn't about honor. It's not about status or power. But these guys just don't get it. Now, one thing to know about me, I'm a fan of spy and detective stories. Of course, I said that as I looked at some friends who are FBI agents in the room. We've got some cool people in this church. Friend of dete- uh, I'm a big fan of detective stories, and one of my favorites is Sherlock Holmes. And uh, while Sherlock and his assistant, Dr. Watson, were out on a case, they were camping. And they pitched their tent under the stars, and they went to sleep. And in the middle of the night, Holmes woke Watson up, and he said, Watson, look up at the stars and tell me what you deduce. Watson quickly replied, I see millions of stars. And even if a few of these have planets, it's quite likely that there are some planets like Earth. And if there's some planets like Earth out there, there might also be life. Holmes interjected, Watson, you idiot, somebody's stolen our tent. (laughs) Oh man, nobody got that. Okay, this message is for you guys this morning, okay? It's about missing the obvious, right? He totally missed the obvious. Their tent had been stolen. His tent had been stolen. 
And I think sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we miss the really plain and obvious things in our faith. Right? We just forget the things that Jesus is about. And we get caught up in our own agendas and our own workings that we have to have our settings reset to get back to what is important to him. Probably a clearer way to say this is we have to make sure that our priorities align with Jesus's priorities. So jump with me, Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. And let's lean in as we learn about this interruption. Verse 13 reads this. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. In verse 16, and he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. If we want to better understand God's kingdom, we first have to understand the interruptions and why they happen in the first place. That's our first point this morning. If you're taking notes, which we encourage you to do so here so that the word can marinate deep in our hearts, first point is to understand the interruptions. You see, as people were gathered around Jesus in verse 13, it says that they were bringing children to him that he might touch them and the disciples rebuked him. Well, the first question that we should ask here is who is the they, right? Did the daycare workers close shop early and they're taking the kids on a field trip to Jesus? Probably not. I think it's referring here very clearly actually to mom and dad. And here's why I think this. I think if we look at the context, the historical context, it was common at this point in history for kids in this culture to receive a blessing from a spiritual leader or a rabbi. And so parents would have recognized Jesus as someone with the authority to bless them. And if you've got kids, you can attest to this. Who wouldn't want a blessing for their children? Who wouldn't seek that at a great cost to even themselves? And so they're starting to recognize Jesus as Messiah. They recognize he's got the authority to bless their children. And they're taking him to the feet of Jesus to receive that blessing. But the disciples, they prevent this from happening. Why? Literally, we're just a few verses away from Jesus interrupting them in a room and making it very clear that his kingdom is about the ones with low societal value. And yet the disciples, they don't get it. They're blocking access for these kids to receive a blessing from our master. See, in Jesus' days, really as well as their own, I would probably argue children are viewed as more of a liability and not really an asset until they reach an age where they can be productive and contribute something to society. Again, in other words, these children, they had low societal value. In addition to this, there's actually a little bit of a religiosity issue that's at play. You see, Judaism, in essence, is a works-based faith that's focusing on how one behaves. But according to the Jewish tradition, children, they had yet to reach, actually, the age of accountability usually around 12 or 13 years old, they would go through a specific discipleship process where they would be taught all of the things of the faith. They would, taught, they, would, they, would, they would be taught how to be good Jews. So the kids hadn't reached this age of accountability. So actually, when we look at it through the lens of the disciples, they probably have a pretty good argument here, right? Like these kids, they haven't reached this age of accountability, so why include them in a conversation where Jesus is talking about his kingdom? 
these things don't pertain to them. These pertain to the ones who are, have reached the age of accountability, who are ready to hear it. I couldn't help but think back as I was thinking of this illustration to, uh, to my own encounters growing up at, uh, at holiday meals. Okay, and maybe you can relate to this, maybe, uh, maybe not, but I would go to holiday meals and I'm thinking like a Christmas dinner. And we'd show up to my grandma's house and the adult table would be well decorated, all the fine china, all the nice cutlery, all of that nice stuff, right? But then probably a couple rooms apart was the dreaded kids table. Anyone else ever sit in the kids table? Yeah? Yeah, if you haven't, maybe you forgot what it's like to sit at the kids table and to humble yourself a little bit. Okay, that kid's table, I can tell you, it was a folded card table. That thing was wobbly, shaky. You'd have disposable plates and, and, and cups and all that just kind of thrown and scattered across the table. Now, in 2023, we have this crazy invention. It's called the air fryer, right? Luckily, we didn't have that growing up. But in 2023, the kids would probably just get like a platter of air fried nuggets instead of like the nice carved ham or things like that. But my point is, is that we kind of treat kids as the leftovers. And what we're really communicating is one day, if you're old enough, you can sit with the big kids. It's exactly what's happening in this scene. And so Jesus, he's welcoming this interruption of children, ultimately to, to allow a disruption of the disciples' worldview. He's allowing this disruption to take place, to, to uh, disrupt their worldview. See, interruptions, whether big or small, they have a purpose to play in really juxtaposing our flesh to our spirits. And maybe a more simple way to put this is that these interruptions, they provide an opportunity to distinguish, to help us distinguish between right and between wrong. I heard a story recently, just a few months ago, of a man who was in his 50s. His life was falling apart. His marriage had really come to the end of the line. It was moving closer and closer to divorce. And to make matters worse, his grown children wouldn't even speak to him anymore. Their relationship was pretty much non-existent. I didn't plan for this, he told the pastor as he sat in his office. I never wanted things to come to this. The pastor asked him what his plan was to grow his marriage through the years. The man, he fumbled over his thoughts and he replied, What? Well, thought my wife was happy. I provided the life I thought that she wanted. Yet, no retreats were planned, no marriage counseling from an older couple in church, no books to read, no conversations, and ultimately no goals set in their marriage. The pastor then asked about his kids. He said, how did you disciple your kids growing up? Did you read the Bible to them regularly? Did you pray with them? Were you honest about your own shortcomings and use those as opportunities to point to Jesus? No, replied the man, but they had a great education at a private Christian school. They didn't have any needs. In fact, they kind of had the childhood that I wish I had. I didn't plan for any of this bad stuff to happen. Gently yet firmly, the pastor replied, yes, you did. By having no plan and, interrupt, and, and ignoring the interruptions of the Holy Spirit in your life, you actually planned for much trouble. You planned for much trouble. I think our first question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, do we take time to regularly let the Holy Spirit interrupt us in our own plans? One of our core values here at Awaken Church is that we keep the gospel center. 
We do this to actively engage in the study of God's word and then to apply it to our lives. But if we're not leaving room for the spirit to regularly interrupt our lives and to reorient us around Jesus and his purposes, what happens is that we get all out of whack. Our settings get distorted and we start to follow our own flesh and our own desires rather than the desires of the master. We've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to let him continually just interrupt our lives. My wife and I have this saying in our house. We say it all of the time. When there's patterns in people's lives, pay attention. I like to say that a lot when it pertains to other people. But then I have to look at my own self, right, and say, what are the patterns in my life that I need to pay attention to? Am I on like a day-to-day kind of crisis basis with my faith? Where one day it's like, Lord, I love you, I'll do anything for you. And then the next day I'm cold and wavering and like, do I even believe? Am I like praying for the Lord to show himself to me, yet I'm not making time to share my own heart with him? It's all these questions that we just need to ask ourselves. But where are the patterns in your life that occur? You see, I think the, really the, the, the meat of this point is that The question isn't whether God is speaking. I think it's more so about, are we listening? If you start to recognize the frequency of these interruptions in your life, then what's going to happen is that you're going to start to realize, wow, God is trying to get my attention. And he's doing it through so many different ways. And time after time after time, and I've just been ignoring it. I've been blaming it on fate or happenstance or whatever word you want to throw around when it's God who's getting your attention. Our second point this morning, and once we start to understand the interruptions, is that we begin to understand the call of the Savior. You want to annoy Jesus? You want to make him really mad? Do this one thing. Devalue his creation. Man, it will make him so angry. Look at verse 14. It says, but when Jesus saw it, he was, what does it say? indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. You see, in chapter 9, he rebukes the disciples a little bit more gently. He does it behind closed doors when he brings them in close. Now, in chapter 10, he's had enough of it. He's had enough of it, and it says he's indignant. His righteous anger is aroused, and he publicly rebukes them in the strongest Terms. James Edwards says this. He says, The object of a person's indignation reveals a great deal about the person. Jesus' displeasure here reveals his compassion in defense of the helpless, the vulnerable, and the powerless. You see, this divine interruption reveals what really matters to Jesus. Out of all the people he could have used as an illustration to be a part of his kingdom, He uses the one with little societal value. What does that tell us about our Savior? It's simple. It's clear. He is about loving the marginalized. He came to be near to the broken. You see, the helpless, the vulnerable, the powerless, the undervalued, the written off, these are the ones to which his kingdom belongs. 
One of my favorite books in 2022 was the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. And in this book, the author really seeks to get to the heart of who Jesus is. I can't recommend this book enough. It was so encouraging to my faith. But one of the quotes from the book, it says this. He says, we cannot present a reason for Christ to finally close off his heart to his own sheep. No such reason exists. Every human friend has a limit. If we offend enough, if a relationship gets damaged enough, if we betray enough, then we are cast out. The walls in the friendship go up. But listen to this. With Christ, our sins and our weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. One more time. Our sins... Our weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. Do you believe that? It's only when we recognize our own nastiness, our own sin, we come to terms with who the Savior really is, and this is where forgiveness and hope is encountered. You've committed your life to following Jesus, then at one point you came into agreement with what the Bible had said about your past life before you put your faith in Christ. It said that you were dead in your sins. You were hopeless, you were crushed, you were defeated. Yet at your absolute worst, Christ's heart longed for you. Do you sit daily with that truth? That the same arms that were outstretched on the cross are the same arms that are outstretched in pursuit of you? That Jesus loves you with just such great mercy. That even when you were at your worst, his heart beat for you. He longed for you. I think perhaps these interruptions, they happen to further understanding of just how deep his love and his mercy really is. I think it's important to note here that Jesus, he's not looking for sinless children to enter his kingdom. We know that Kids are little sinners just like we are big sinners. There's a concept called original sin. But what he's looking for, he's looking for ones with childlike faith. Not ones who are childish. He's looking for ones with childlike faith. What's the difference between the two? Well, Christ, he's seeking the lost ones, the ones who know they are in trouble, the ones who are calling out to him, the ones who are desperate, saying, I just need to hear your voice. Show me who you are. Fill me. God, show me. He came for the ones who were calling and seeking him, not the ones who were playing games, who only use him when they need him and their life's in a little bit of trouble. But the rest of the time, they're like, I got this. Man, I, I don't know about you, but this gets really practical for me. It hits close to home. Think of those moments in my life where I was riddled with anxiety and fear and depression and on my knees face in the carpet, weeping my eyes out, feeling like I've come to the end of myself. I do not know where to go from here. Like I am tired of just like white knuckling it through life. Been in those moments. And while Jesus has been faithful in every season of my life, I can tell you, it's not until you come to the end of yourself in those broken moments where you actually encounter mercy. When you actually encounter his heart of love, that he is who he says he is. He is rich in mercy. Have you encountered that Jesus lately? Have you encountered that Jesus? Maybe if you haven't, maybe if your faith feels a little bit stale this morning, 
You've closed your heart off. Your settings are distorted. And you're pretending and fooling yourself like, I've got this. Man, the habitual sin that I'm wrestling with, the addictions that I have, I can get through this on my own. Today was a good day. I'm all right. Tomorrow will be fine. Call on Jesus. Call on Jesus. Make your lifestyle one of brokenness. That's about continually confessing your dependence on him. He longs to meet you. Are you willing to receive his mercy? Our third and final point this morning, Jesus is saying that it's only when we have this faith like a child, this simple dependence on him, it's only when we come to this point then do we really begin to understand his kingdom? And that's our third point. Let's understand the kingdom. Look at verse 15. It says this. It says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You see, despite the other dramatic stories that we've heard in this series, stories of storms and hurricanes and all of that other stuff, I think this is actually one of the most dramatic lines. Did you catch it? It says, shall not enter it. The seriousness of Jesus' point, it can't be missed here. What he's saying is your eternity is at stake. Your eternity is at stake. And if you miss this point and if you miss who I am, then you miss me and you miss my kingdom. I don't want to be that one. I don't want to be that one. I want all this truth to marinate and rest deep in my heart so that when he calls, I receive his voice. I think the reason why we're called to this place of being helpless and vulnerable and powerless, and this is ultimately why the ones, those are the ones who the kingdom of God belongs to, is because it's just easy to receive. It's easy to receive when you're helpless, when you're vulnerable, and when you're powerless. These little ones, they had nothing to offer in return of the Lord's blessing. They had nothing to offer back to him. They had no status in society that would have warranted Jesus' time in his calendar. The blessing that they received, it came solely from the Lord as a free gift of his grace. And it's only when we come to this place of just simple childlike faith of saying, I have nothing to offer you, God, but you have everything for me. And I can't make sense of it, but I'm just going to choose to believe that you are for me. It's only when we come to this place that his kingdom, it begins to make sense. There's no good works that we can do to get us into heaven. No theology degrees that we can accumulate. No fancy job titles. No special status or lifetime achievement awards. It's only the mercy of God and the gift of his free grace. Does that truth rest deeply in your heart? When you're battling against the evil one, when you're fighting for freedom from sin that's pestering you, do you hold to that truth? Saying, Lord, I have nothing to give, but I'm just here to receive. I'll never forget a few years ago in Houston, uh, there was a young missionary in our church at the time who was making his way overseas. And uh, he was a young guy, his early 20s, and he was just, he was zealous. He was just one of those like, 
high energy guys. And I remember I was letting him borrow my car for a few weeks as he kind of prepared. He sold his materials and he was preparing to go overseas. And as he was, uh, we were exchanging cars. We were driving in the car together up 45 in Houston. And I just remember I was asking him, I've spent a lot of time overseas myself in missions. And I was just asking him like, what's like, what's your plan? Like, what are you, what are you most excited about? What gifts are you excited about using? And just kind of all those generic questions to get the conversation going. And he said kind of all of the trigger word responses, right? Like, oh man, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to evangelize and I'm going to save the lost. And those aren't bad things, right? It was, I appreciated this guy's excitement. But as we continued the conversation, we pressed in a little bit deeper. I just asked him this question, like, what's the team dynamics that you're stepping into over there? Are there any missionaries? And he shared, yeah, there's, there's two families. There's two families that are serving over there long term, and they've got young kids. And I'm telling you, driving on 45 in Houston is a scary enough experience and just driving. But when you get a word from the Lord and you're driving, you're like, oh, Lord, okay. Whew. And I just felt like I had this clear word for him. And I said, hey, bro, that's, that's really awesome, and I'm excited about your, your journey into missions. But what if the Lord is calling you and the greatest ministry that you're going to do in this season ahead of you is to go and invest in the life of your kids, of, the, of your leader's kids? That instead of having this great expectation of yourself and your own gifts, what if the Lord's calling you to go over there and actually serve your leader's family so that they can be freed up to go and to do ministry? Man, you would have thought that I cussed this kid out. It was like, it was just that total jolting moment. And I'll never forget his response. It is etched in my mind. He said, I, 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 well, I asked him, sorry, a little bit more context to it. I asked him, I said, if this was your call, I said, if this was your call to go and serve the kids, I said, would you do it? That's how I phrased it. And his response was, yeah, of course I would, but that's not what the Lord is calling me to. It's not what the Lord was calling him to. Maybe he was right, maybe he was wrong. It's not the point. Really, the point is this, is that what are our priorities in following Jesus? Listen, he makes it simple and he makes it obvious in this passage. His kingdom isn't filled with people who are motivated by the things that bring them wealth or popularity or that use all of their special gifts and talents. His kingdom is filled with ones who really don't think much of themselves who really don't think much of themselves, who freely receive his mercy, and then they long to share this mercy with other broken people. It's filled with people who are willing to do the dirty jobs, the jobs that nobody else wants, and that is just so contradictory to our culture in this day and age. I've been around Christianity my whole life, so let's take off the religious mask for one second. Because I think oftentimes what we feel or what we sense in the church is that, man, that person has a really great teaching gift or preaching gift or they're really good at reaching the lost and yet their lives and their special gifts and talents, they have been so rarely interrupted from the safety of the pulpit or the pew to actually put their money where their mouth is. Just being honest for a second, okay? Okay. Our Christian culture, it's saturated with people who spend so much time on a stage, so much time building a social media platform of, of invisible faces following them. And we've forgotten what the faces of the marginalized and the poor and the destitute and the lonely and the hurting, we forgot what those faces look like. And we can puff ourselves up saying, wow, look at all the good works that we're doing. Wow, look at church attendance this week. Oh man, our life group was full to the brim. Yet all we ever look in is faces that look just like ours. 
and we totally forget what the face of the ones that Jesus came to save looks like. As we wrap up this morning, as I invite the band back up, listen, I know I can be intense sometimes. <laughs> I love Jesus. Man, I love Jesus. And I know this church loves Jesus. And I know I can feel maybe like it's being a little bit critical, like, what are we doing? And there is a little bit of that sense of urgency that I want to call out. But man, I look at this church, I look at the ways that people continue to lay down their life week after week for the ones with little societal value. I know the stories of the ones who are in the adoption process, seeking to wrap their arms around children with no parents who really have little, little hope for the rest of their lives. We spend time around our table daily, weekly with people whose just hearts beat for the kingdom and saying, I'm willing to do whatever. I love this church. I love this church. But I think one of the best things that we do here at Awaken Church is that we call each other to more. We call each other to more. We're not satisfied with just checking the boxes and just doing the bare minimum. We want to make sure our settings are fully aligned with Jesus so that this city, it doesn't look like the city that it once did. So that this city is filled with the hope of Jesus. Don't you want to see that happen? Don't you want to see that happen? There's one final verse for us to look at. Look at verse 16. It says this, and he took them in his arms and he blessed them. He blessed these children, laying his hands on them. There's two groups that we want to talk to as we wrap up this morning. Maybe you've forgotten what the arms of Jesus feel like. I'm not trying to make this hyper-emotional. I'm not trying to get anything out of you. I just want to ask you that. Do you remember what his arms are like? The Father longs to pick you up. He longs to embrace you. He longs to interrupt the cycle of despair, hopelessness that you've walked in. He, des he desires to break the cycle of sin, broken relationships, all of that. All it's going to take from you is just coming to the end of yourself, to calling on the Savior. Are you willing to call on Jesus this morning? Are you willing to be embraced by him? I hope, I hope this morning you'll do that. If you've forgotten what his embrace is like, let him interrupt your day. Let him interrupt your agenda. Come to Jesus. For the rest of our church and those who are committed and following Jesus, I want to take a moment and just call you to more and just call you to more. What does it look like to respond to the inconvenient interruptions in our lives? And really, when's the last time that you have loved someone of little societal value? When's the last time you've shared a meal with a homeless person? Or have you invited refugees into your house to hear about their story and to get to know them? When's the last time that you've babysat kids in the congregation and encouraged them while you let parents go get a date night? 
I think there's some really low-hanging fruit that we can actually just take to respond to this message, to be obedient to Scripture. And it's this. If you're not actively serving in our kids' ministry, I want to encourage you. Would you take that step today to sign up to do that? If you're not actively serving in life group kids, a lot of our kids, or a lot of our life groups provide children discipleship through the week, would you sign up maybe for two dates this semester and commit to loving and serving the ones that society really doesn't pay attention to and use those opportunities to point them to Jesus? Would you do it? Maybe you're in the season where you're saying, man, I have my own kids and I just don't want to be around other people's kids. Man, it's not Jesus' answer. It's not his response to that problem. Maybe you're in a stage of being an empty nester and you're like, man, I've graduated from the parenting stage. Then you know how hard it is. Then you know how hard it is. And how can you sit while you know that parents are going through the challenges that they're going to and not want to help them and support them. Would you do that? Would you sign up for one Sunday a month? It's such a low commitment, but you can help change the lives of children in our church. Would you do that? I think some of the higher hanging fruit, and for, again, for a lot of our church, I know you're already serving in those areas, but we don't want to stop there. We want to call you to more. And as I was preparing this message last night, I'm going to be honest, like, I was pacing around my bedroom and I was just weeping my eyes out. And I just felt like the Lord specifically, I feel like the Lord is releasing somebody to adopt and to foster. And it's kind of an uncomfortable word to share because it's like, I'm not trying to get anyone to sign up. I'm just trying to get you to be sensitive to the spirit. And I really sensed the Lord just asking, why not now? Why not now? Why not now? There's a child out there in our city, actually. There's, uh, there's some statistics out there. There's about 400 children, over 400 children in Williamson County alone that need foster care. It's actually a crisis. Over the last few months, there's been children that have been in, sleeping in hotels, that have been sleeping on the floors of the office of the foster care facility because they've had no home to go to. I know Jesus' arms wants to wrap around those kids. Why can't he use us to do that? Why not? I don't say it lightly. I know it's going to come with a huge sacrifice. It's a high calling. But I feel like the Lord is just asking, why not now? I love this church. I love the way that we get to walk vulnerably, vulnerably with one another. Sorry that I cry a lot. But man, I just love Jesus. I don't know about you. I want to be one that will do anything that he says. Anything that he says. So let's do the simple things well. Let's allow the interruptions of the inconvenient ones, the low societal ones in our culture to take a place in our hearts that we may love them with the mercy that Jesus longs to love them with.